You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. Burmese pythons in Florida, right? Yes, down the road from us. Yes, not very far from us. Where it doesn't, shouldn't be. Shouldn't be. What can they teach us? Once again, even if you're not a fan of snakes, some of their biology and physiology oh, is super rad. Oh, yeah. It's like so amazing. I mean... Many species are in crisis and need your help. The numbers are growing in Florida, mm-hmm. where we don't want them, yeah. to their home range They're in decreasing. Southeast Asia. It's decreasing. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. All right, welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Angie. Hey, Angie. So we're just going to jump into it today and talk about a crazy animal. A big animal. Big animal. Very big. Very big. And uh, pretty awesome. But the Burmese python. Yes. Which we, again, promised to the listeners that we would try to diversify the the, the species we're covering. So we we definitely, I, I'll give credit to my six-year-old son. He's like, Dad, you need to do a snake. As he listens to some of this, and I'm like, okay. So then we we kind of decided on which one, and and he's fine with us doing pythons. He wanted coral snakes, but I talked him into pythons. So. Pythons are pretty; they're a good way to start. Definitely yeah, good, so. a good introduction to snakes. Yes, yes, for sure. One of the reasons I think we, we chose this species is because, and, and even in episode one, I talked about invasive species and the problems that we're having in, in around the world. Burmese pythons in Florida, right? Yes, down the road from us. Yes, not very far from us. Where it doesn't. Shouldn't be. Shouldn't be. It doesn't belong here. It's supposed to be in Asia. So stay tuned towards the end because that's where we're going to kind of jump into the invasive species impacts when we talk about conservation. And you're going to be like astounded at how many snakes they think there are now in Florida. It's insane. Yeah, the population is yeah. pretty outrageous. Yeah, I can't believe it. Like, I'm just astounded. I texted Angie last night. I was like, are you kidding me? There could be a very large city in Florida <laughs> so just Burmese pythons. I mean, yes, yes. No kidding. <laughs> if... You know, we have these snakes in Florida now, Angie, so why should we even care? They're doing fine, right? Well, Chris, you bring up a good point. In general, not only about uh, Burmese pythons, which are invasive in Florida, but just in general, why should we care about snakes? Just in general. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Right. right? A lot That's of people. That's what people think. <laughs> <laughs> most people, obviously, there's no statistics on it yeah. uh, that I'm aware of, but yeah, a lot 99.9%? of. 99.9%? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the 0.1%. I, yeah. I love snakes. snakes I have cool. no fear of them. I used to catch them as children. Uh, growing up in Michigan, I would catch the garter snakes yeah. and the blue racers. And so I, I don't have that fear. But yes, a lot of people aren't fans of snakes. And so I'll go into that a little bit more in detail later, right. but just in general, even if you don't like snakes, you should care about them. Yeah, you should. And sure. I hope you stick with us for this podcast yeah. because even if you, once again, even if you're not a fan of snakes, some of their biology and physiology oh, is super rad. Oh yeah, it's like so amazing. I mean, are... it's awesome. So I hope you stick with us for that. But and secondly, you should care about snakes because they provide many benefits to human and their predatory role. 
right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of snakes eat rodents. Right. And rodents carry diseases. Right. And so without snakes acting in in that role, there could be a, a huge problem in, with rodents. Right. And it kind of goes back to a theme that we've talked about, you know, throughout and we'll continue talking about throughout is the, the ecological niche that yeah, a lot of species have. They're a really vital role in a, our numerous food webs. Mm-hmm, uh, and the mm-hmm. python plays a great role, but mm-hmm. other just local snakes, snakes in your are- community. And just for example, there's the eastern milk snake that's been very helpful to farmers uh, by hunting in old buildings and getting rid of mice, right. which can destroy valuable crops and spread disease. Mm-hmm. So that's just one example. Um, and many species, depending on their size and what type of predator they are, they're what's known as a keystone species mm-hmm. or, or umbrella species, depending on how you look at it. And what that does is that plays and maintains an ecological process in a community. Right. So without them, they can really destroy different food webs right. and food webs can crash. Yeah. And not every snake is going to be in that role, but many species many do. Many do. Mm-hmm. Many are. Yeah. And so the, the Burmese python definitely plays a big role. I mean, being the one of the top predators Absolutely. in its natural environment, mm-hmm. not in its unnatural environment. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you talk about going back, we have so many examples of, of animals going extinct and then just this domino effect. You know, we say trickle down, trickle up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you take snakes out of the food web. Oh my God. I, I can't imagine what would happen. Exactly. So mm-hmm. that's, I mean, I think you should care just for those facts right. alone. You should. Uh, yeah. Or or you're like me and you like them. I remember when I, I was, my previous life when I was an undergrad and I was studying a wild horse population in California. And so I'm driving around in my truck because I was just, you know, we're documenting the population, how many males and females and very small horse herd, but it was part of our senior project. And I'm driving around with my buddy and I look and then there was a rattlesnake on the road. Awesome. And like I pulled up to it and I'm just, my heart rate was like racing. I don't know what it is about snakes. Like you say, you don't have that fear, but just looking at it, I think it's just knowing that, hey, if I get out and try to pet that thing, it can kill me. And so that's like the fear fact. And I was you know, ex-military. I mean, I've dealt with guns and all sorts of stuff. So I don't know. No, Chris, I think you yeah, touched on a really fear. a really yeah. key um, point is that there is this, this instinctual, if you mm-hmm. will, that most people have a fear of snakes. Right. And it probably does date back to thousands of years of our, as humans, us learning and telling stories not to mess with them, yeah. right? And other scholars suggest that there's probably even a negative connotation from right. biblical stories or just just, just myth in general. Are always, yeah, snakes are all. I mean, on, yeah, yeah, I can't really snakes and spiders. <laughs> yeah, and sharks. I mean, you yeah. can't really think of any modern day like movie where snakes are good guys. Yeah. You know, it's not like <laughs> snakes oh, on a plane, <laughs> right? It's not like happy, lovely, snuggly snakes on a plane, right? right? right that's right, not right. on there. So, so and, uh, and that's probably yeah, yeah, and that's probably a different um, podcast for a yeah. different day about how media sometimes you know exaggerates snakes right. because Chris, interestingly enough, um, there's about there's over two thousand species of snakes in the world currently. Uh, lots are in right. desperate desperate troubles, and that's what we're going to talk about today. But fewer than 20% are actually venomous. Right. Not many. Yeah. Not many. And and the other thing, too, is just a quick little fun fact for those of you, if you are, if you haven't already turned us off and turned to a more fluffy episode about something else, yeah. um, if, you, if you are sticking with us, you should just know that you're nine times more likely to die from being struck by lightning than you are from a venomous snake. Right. Bite. And I, you know, it's funny. I place I was in the military. I hike in the woods. All the time, and I've never. The only time I saw a wild 
or wild venomous snake was in my truck, right? You know, driving around on a road. I I, mean, I guarantee you, out of the, the the amount of times I've been in the woods, you know, walking around or camping or whatever, you know, rucking rucking around in the army, that I'm sure there was venomous snakes all around me and I didn't know it. Because they're more scared of me than I am. Oh, about, they're you know. absolutely more scared of yeah. you than you. And there's probably a few in my backyard right now that I'm like, <laughs> as long as they stay away, great. Yeah, I'm such the house. opposite. I see them and I go towards them. So yeah, snakes are are amazing, and you know it's funny. You know, before we jump into the Burmese python, real quick, two places on Earth where there's no snakes: New Zealand and Ireland. Really? Like I so I'll be fun fact of the day. I would yeah. not have guessed either Ireland. Of those. Yeah, yeah, like so when this podcast actually drops and we actually publish it, I'll have just moved to New Zealand. All right, so let's jump into the Burmese python. Let's just talk specifically about this snake cuz this yeah, is we picked this guy cuz uh it's a big bad boy. Yeah, awesome girl. And it, I mean bad in a loving yeah, sense. Yeah. Like it is it is striking and beautiful yeah. and big. Yeah. And I mean we you know like we we get to cover 50 something species a year. We will definitely talk more about snakes, different types of snakes. Maybe yeah, something Chris more and I specific. went back and forth, probably for one of the longest times going Deci- back and decide forth. Decide on what yeah, to cover, to yeah. decide because there's so many cool snakes out there. And um, but the yeah, Burmese- we'll definitely do more more snake episodes. Now the Burmese pythons from the Pyth- Pythonidae family, and this is a family of non-venomous snakes in Africa, Asia, and Australia. Hmm. So they're very um, old world. Okay. You know, we talked a little bit about old world, new world. Now, the python genus is more specific to, you know, the Burmese python and say the rock python. The true python. The true pythons. That's what they call these ones. So there are like water pythons and tree pythons and others like that are found in Australia, but they call the true python, the Burmese python's part of this family or genus of, of python. Now, Really quick, and don't have to talk a lot about the differences here, but the python versus anaconda. Right. Being from North America and neighbor to South America, we always hear a lot about anacondas. Right. Right. And and so the pythons are different from boa constrictors or boas. Mm-hmm. So boas are new world or in the Americas mm-hmm. types of constrictor snakes where pythons are more Africa, Asia, uh, Australia, old, old world. And a little bit different, too, in how they hunted, too. So, like, in uh, the anacondas, they don't typically always constrict. They actually like to drown, like the big ones. They like to drown their prey. In the prey. water. Okay. Yeah, they drown them, and then they eat them. But the pythons are all constrictors. And so we'll talk a little bit about how that happens with nutrition. Now, within the python genus, there's 11 recognized species. There used to be eight, and then there's three new ones. Hmm. Just recently, in the last few years. So there's the Angolan python, which is in Africa. The Bornean python. The blood python, which is uh, Malaysia, Sumatra, the Sumatran short-tailed, the Myanmar short-tailed. There's the Indian or black-tailed python, the ball python, which is a very yeah. That's my first. Chris just saw my face. Yeah. It's my personal favorite. I was able to work with a couple of really special ball pythons at the children's zoo um, that were used as an animal handling mm-hmm. education programs. Mm-hmm. And they're from Central Africa, mm-hmm. but yeah, a lot of hobbyists yes. have ball pythons. Yes, they are. Yeah. I don't know if you can say sweet or nice at yeah. first, um, but for me they were, and they were they were they're they're great um, for educational purposes right. too, for to help reduce fear. Yeah, we fear, uh, right? you know uh, for our educational outreach programs, we'd always start when you with younger children, right, mm-hmm. to try to break the cycle of fear then and show them that they're not slimy yeah, and they don't bite and they're not going to constrict you yeah, just because. Yeah, just because. 
the the rock python I would not advise. This is from South Africa. This is like the, one of the bigger ones, and then the Timor, and then finally into the Burmese python. So those are all the a Burmese python. I would also not recommend. No, no, and they are and hobbyists do have. Them. I mean, I guess unless you have like ten people that you want to like help carry it to an education yeah, event because they're big. I think they suggest something like. One person to help carry it every meter, meet, right? Because you got to support every, their structure, their right. skeleton, yeah. Because mm-hmm. you can, kill and they're them. so long, yeah. So. They're huge. They well, that jumps right into what I was going to talk about. Some of the descriptions. So this is actually the the python or the Burmese python is the longest snake in the world. Correct. So they yeah. can get up to twenty three feet. Not that's not average. I mean, they say sixteen to eighteen feet is pretty normal, but they can get as long they think as twenty three feet or seven meters. So and put that in a visual really quick. Yeah, that's, that's two stories. Yeah, two stories tall. Like a bus longer than a bus. Yeah. Pro- well, two stories, yeah. Okay. Two stories of how I mean bus. definitely two car lengths for sure. Like it depends on the car too, right? It's a big truck. Yes, now Chris, I yeah. don't know if I would run towards that snake. No. I no. think <laughs> I'm used no. to like little one footers, two yeah. footers, um that I used to catch as a kid. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, they're no, thank you. They're big. They are big, bad boys and girls. But they only weigh about 200 pounds. Now, to put that in perspective, the anaconda is a shorter snake, so they're like 15 to 17 feet, but they're thicker and heavier. Okay. So the more, they have more girthy, like, right. and they're in the water. I feel like a lot of yeah, they're vi- thicker, videos bigger, I've seen yeah. in South America and the Amazon basin, yeah, they seem yeah. more rotund. Rotund. And then the Burmese pythons, just longer mm-hmm. and not quite uh, as big. So, like, the anacondas can weigh up to 230 pounds, about my size, or 100, 105 kilograms. Now, the Burmese python is, to kind of describe the coloration, which is really, this is what's cool about snakes, too. They're so pretty. So pretty. Yeah. Their patterns are just mesmerizing. Yeah. I mean, the poison dart frogs are still, wow. And I'm maybe, glad we did that. Maybe a better word would be, like, hypnotic. They are. They're, it's very soothing for me to look at snake patterns. Yeah, I don't know really what what's amazing. wrong with yeah, me. I don't <laughs> know what that means, right? <laughs> now, I don't want to see them on handbags, purses, and boots, and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, that could be fake. With, on the uh, animal whatnot. itself, yeah. But on the animal, right. yeah, it's just, it's nature's work at its finest. Yeah, it's really cool. So they have these dark brown splotches that have black on the outside, and then you have like that light coloration, tan coloration, light brown kind of lines throughout. So it's just really, really awesome pattern for camouflage. Now, the Burmese python and I was kind of surprised. I didn't realize their range was as big. And they actually go up in Nepal, which is crazy. Isn't that Because cool? you always think Nepal of like these, the Himalayas. Yeah, I just think of like mountain goats yeah, or something. And yeah, and freezing but, mm-hmm. and snow leopards. But no, they, you know, some areas they have there in India and then all throughout like Vietnam and Malaysia and Thailand. So really able to to adapt to their yeah. surroundings. Right, yeah. So they're pretty pretty wide. And the, yeah, when you look at their, their habitats, you know, rainforest, grasslands. Kind of like, you know, similar to some of the species. They're not very specific to one biome. Okay. You know, not just rainforest. They're all throughout uh, that part of the world. When we get to their other habitat, their new habitat, that's southern Florida. You even said, you know, before we launched or started, you know, up in the panhandle. Yes, there have been um, sporadic uh, findings of them in central Florida and then up into the panhandle. Maybe there's one in my backyard. Awesome. (laughs) So... Um, you, have, you won't have a rodent problem. Yeah, I guess not. I won't have a dog problem soon yeah. or a cat problem, which I don't know my babies. Um, anyway, it's great. I didn't know they were up here. Well, I don't think any have been found in our county. Yeah, I know. So I know. just, um, but no, no, they they definitely have been. They've been slowly moving north. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And they again, they they live in all sorts of habitats. So it's not just because South Florida is hot and wet. 
Right. It's because Florida is a great place for a lot of animals to live. Sure. Well, I mean, there's a, a large chunk of South Florida being in the Everglades that, mm-hmm. yes, there's been a lot of um, construction, habitat, mm-hmm. um, fragmentation, fragmentation so, right. whatnot, but there's still large, wild right. chunks of it. Yeah, that are still protected, mm-hmm. you know, and, and even here, you know, outside where we're living now, Central Florida. Snakes, not a lot known. There's really not. No, Chris. Even, I mean, with me focusing on even like some of their behavior, yeah. reproduction, yeah, there's there's not a lot known. No, about. no. And their evolution, I mean, they can date it back. They actually found the, the, what, the oldest ancestor, this paper published in Nature in 2015, it moved it back about 40 million years. Wow. So, That's a big jump. Yeah, it used to be like 130, now it's 170 million years ago. They've been around a while. Yes. And this, they found evidence of fossils in the U.S., the U.K., and Portugal. And they're looking at the jaw bones and then some of the, the vertebrae. Okay. Okay. So the, they kind of trace this back to a burrowing lizard about 160, 170 million years ago. They had legs? Yeah, little legs. And then today, snakes still have some of those vestibular nubbins or remnants of evolution. So male snakes have spurs, which you may talk about mm-hmm. in the repro part, but those spurs are actually remnants of their hind legs. Cool. So they used to have little legs. They used to be a little running around. All right. So, Angel, really quick, I got to I gotta get this story into, and th- this is definitely related to the Burmese python, and that is the discovery of Titanoboa. I love the name. Yes. <laughs> this was the largest snake ever discovered, and the story for both of us, being from the University of Florida, is amazing because it was discovered here. Not living here, but it was discovered by a grad student here. Go Gators! Yay! I wish my grad student would have discovered Titanoboa. Sorry, Chris. Uh, not just, me. Yeah, you're going to save rhinos. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's that's a little bit better. I yeah, think. it's way cooler. Yeah, yeah. Way then, cooler. My son would be like, he thinks I'm semi-cool, but if I... Uh, save rhinos. Are, well, yeah, <laughs> that's semi-cool. to save it. Yeah. No, but I would have found a giant snake. Snake? Oh, you would have been like queen. Forever. Yeah. The best mama ever. Yeah, yeah. And uh, no, I love my grad students. But this story is awesome because... I think it's one of the things that universities do really well. So the story is the professor, he found the bone, but it was, it was the student who really just deserves the credit for the discovery. He was down in Columbia in one of their, their big their mines, you know, their, I think it's coal mine or something. So they're, you know, kind of not doing it all great for the environment, but you know, you know, going down through the cliffs, cutting down through digging deep in the ground. And so he's there looking for fossils. fossils. Yeah. Fossils like we just talked about. And he was looking for giant crocodiles bones is really what he was looking at. So he thought he found this piece of vertebrae and he thought it was a crocodile bone. But he didn't know, but he packs it all up and then ships it up to the lab here in Florida. Well, his grad student one night late in the lab is unpacking things and, you know, taking it out of all of its protection and stuff. And he's clipping away at it and he pulls out this vertebrae and, and, you know, he walks around and, and I think it was a lab assistant was handling it. And he walks by and says, oh, yeah, that's a snake vertebrae and keeps walking. And the assistant turns around and goes, what? No, Dr. So-and-so said this was a crocodile. And he's like, no, that's snake. And he took it and he identified it. And he's like, oh, my God, this is the biggest vertebrate we've ever found of a snake, which later found out was Titanoboa. Now we have more fossils of it. What's cool. So this thing lived about 60 million years ago. Thank God. Because it was talk about forty plus feet long, right? So it'd be like the snake on the plane. Yes, the it would be the plane. It would be the <laughs> snake. It's huge, thirteen meters long, weighed up to two thousand five hundred pounds, over a ton or eleven hundred kilograms. Ridiculous. Huge, huge snake would eat me no problem. 
And what was so cool about this is our museum was about four years ago had the Titanobo exhibit. That right, sh- the local one here at the University of Florida right. in Gainesville. Yeah, our, we have an awesome natural history museum here. And this this exhibit traveled around the country. It was at the Smithsonian and all these major museums. So I was here for a while, and I'm in there looking at it with my son. And, I bet you were in there like every day. Oh, yeah, we went all the time. Like, Titanoboa was awesome. And uh, so the video's playing, the Smithsonian Channel video of Titanoboa. And the grad students on there talking about, oh, yeah, and I discovered it, and I called my professor the next day, blah, 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 blah. And I look left off screen, and he's, like, standing right next to me. Oh, He was giving it. a tour, yeah. That's he was so giving funny. a tour. And I... I look back at the screen. I'm like, "What?" And I look back left, and he was standing right next to me. I was like, "No way!" Oh, I was such like, a like cool moment. Like, yeah, small and I've town, met, big town. Yeah. I've met some big celebrities and and some big people, and I was starstruck. Like, I was just what a dork. I was so starstruck by him. I was like, "You are a dork." Oh, I was. But you that's know, cool though. Yeah, I mean, celebrities have nothing on me, but when I see that, I'm like, "You discovered Titanic Boa?" Yeah, that's huge. Like, that's amazing. It was. It was like they think it was one of the most important discoveries of the last hundred years, and in. Uh, fossil, whatever. Uh, paleontology. Yeah, that thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, I know cool. that from watching uh, Dinosaur Train with my <laughs> three and a half year old. Yes. Paleontology. There you go. That's what I meant to say. It's a big difference, Chris, yeah. between paleontology and archaeology. Yeah, I know archaeology is like human stuff. So and that, that's perfect. History with humans. So let's let's see uh, how these snakes have had big uh, impacts on us. Well, I mean, they definitely, like I said, have always impacted our psyche. Like you said, most people run away from them, although there's a few small percent of us right. that would run towards them, maybe not towards Titanoboa. Yeah, can you go to my backyard and make sure? I would. I would. With a big <laughs> stick, I would. Yeah. And my run- with my running shoes on, because I could probably outrun run most of these guys. And once again, they are more scared of us than we are of them. Right. But. No, we really um, snakes in general, and especially the giant pythons like mm-hmm. we're talking about today, the Burmese, the uh, reticulated, the rock python. So of course, snakes are found in mythology mm-hmm. and, of course, in, in, biblically. Yeah, I and, mean, ancient. Yeah, yeah, for years. yeah. I mean, yeah. cave paintings and all this and that. Yeah. So they've been in our psyche for a long time, probably in our folk- folklore to stay away from them and whatnot. But also throughout uh, modern day history. The giant pythons, like what we're talking mm-hmm. about today, the, we're talking about Burmese pythons, but reticulated, the African rock python, the Indian python. Historically, uh, they've been slaughtered uh, to supply the world leather market right? because, yep. because of their beautiful uh, patterns, patterns and yeah. whatnot. And then also, of course, a lot of folk medicines. Now, do they work? There's no scientific evidence mm-hmm. that it works, but you know, unfortunately, a lot of those um, beliefs are perpetuated. Right. And then, of course, they've been used a lot in the pet trade. So they've, you know, we definitely have an abundant, closely knit history with these guys. Yeah, relationship. I think, yeah, I mean, humans and snakes have, God, it's it's like a story old as time. I mean, you know, we talk about animals and domesticated animals and horses and the impacts they've had on us. But yeah, snakes, you go back to hunter-gatherers. Yeah, and well, and, yeah. Uh, and, and honestly, in China, they're still sometimes even used as food. Right. And I already, you know, briefly mentioned that they, even these giant uh, pythons have been used in the pet trade. Right. Our relationship with them is complicated. In it some, is. In, in, it in is. In some yeah. way, shape, and form. And yeah, and, uh, and so the, with the python, though, we have this new relationship with it here in, in Florida. Florida. I know, yeah. And we're going to touch on more of that today, but... Just to give you, the listeners, a brief background, I was quite fascinated by, of course, I'm a dork, but this relationship is very new. It's 10 years old. Mm -hmm. It was in 2007 that researchers, grad students, uh, most likely, I think, I don't know if they were at UF, but uh, they were 
interested in studying male Key Largo wood rat, mm -hmm. which is endangered. Mm -hmm. And they had one wearing a transmitter so they could follow them around mm -hmm. and learn all these cool behavior things. One of my, yeah. another, yeah. a dream job and another right, lifetime right. for me. And they saw that this one was just moving really, you know, kind of quickly and all over the place. Okay. And they basically tracked it down to being in the belly of a seven and a half oh, wow. foot Burmese python, yeah. sunning itself, not in a cage. Yeah. Where in the pet trade industry previously, right. you would have to, you know, have a permit and have right. one, uh, you know, or obviously be like a zoo and have just one. Just hanging out. Right. Um, but this one was just free as yeah. all get out, just mm -hmm. sunning itself. And so since then, researchers and wildlife agencies and whatnot have um, realized that this has become a pretty big problem here as, as far as an Burmese python being an invasive species. Mm -hmm. And what they think happened was is during... Hurricane Andrew, Andrew right, way yeah. back in 92, right. that there was either a breeding facility them that potentially they got released during mm -hmm. this hurricane, right? Because the hurricane destroyed right. a lot of Florida. A lot of stuff, yeah. And, and then since then have been able to fare pretty well in South Florida. And so, you know, in this relationship with us in Florida is, well, nationwide invasive species cost um, the U.S. about $100 billion in damage wow. 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 alone. Yeah. And But then just for us locally right. here, the Burmese python, um, they are potentially consuming a lot of, in, of our endangered right. species like the wood stork mm -hmm. and key deer mm -hmm. and uh, the wood rat, like I would mentioned. But then also just local fauna is right. down. Um, people say sightings of raccoons and oh, possums. Yeah and deer and coyote and then we they can't even find them anymore right they're down yeah. like 90 something percent 90 something yeah, percent the, the as data far i was just, looking at yeah i mean and i this is so anecdotal i don't even want to mention it but i saw more raccoons in chicago than i like in urban <laughs> yeah i told you san francisco i was living urban in san francisco, chicago yeah. than i and i live in you know in the woods here in right. florida and i i, I never see them yeah. so yeah, that could just be anecdotal. But yes, they definitely are concerned about what this species is doing to not Native only endangered yeah. not only endangered animals here in locally in Florida, right. but then also just once again impacting our food web. Right. Florida has we have our we've evolved right. in the past, you know, hundreds of millions of years our own food web that does not include the Burmese python. Mm -hmm. And in fact, one of our bigger snakes uh constrictor snakes is the indigo snake mm -hmm. and so there are there's also concern that this burmese python will outcompete the indigo right. snake and, and, wipe, them, extinct, right. and wipe them out so there's a lot of concerns with it and right. so that's you know one of the reasons why we chose to talk about the burmese python right. um because of its interesting issue with what we're with the numbers are growing in florida mm -hmm. where we don't want them yeah to their home range They're in Southeast Asia is decreasing. Right. Yeah, it's interesting you talk about them with hobbyists because they they live for a long time. Like just jumping into their life cycle, they can live up to 40 years in captivity. Now in the wild, a Burmese python is going to live 20, 25 years, they think, on average. So not quite as long, but still that's pretty long. Yeah, it's very yeah. long. And, you know, I know you're going to probably touch upon some of this in Repro, but these things grow incredibly fast. The Burmese python is like, it's born almost two feet or 20, yeah, born, 50 centimeters. It's born pretty big. Yeah, it's already mm -hmm. like a big snake. And then in the first year, that will double. So mm -hmm. it can almost go to uh, three or four feet, 100 centimeters. And then at two and a half years, so trying to look at one study, you know, trying to find some research on this. At two and a half years, they measured them at three meters or 10 feet. So, you know, two-year-old snake, that's huge. That's, you know, one story of a house. Right. It's big. 
And a lot of what's going to depend on that too is diet and environment. Sure, sure. How much you feed them, how often they feed, things like that. So they pretty pretty interesting. Really, snakes. You know, again, going back just to general snakes and the boas, crazy adaptations. Yeah, I think that's one of my fascinations, and probably a lot of other snake lovers out there. Fascinations is just how unique they are. They don't have any appendages, right? They lost their limbs. Mm -hmm. They now, what's really cool is looking at some of this. Bows and pythons are actually considered ancient mm-hmm. snakes because they have two lungs, whereas mm-hmm. most other snakes only have one. Interesting. They, they've lost that second lung, so they only have one lung to breathe. But then they have this really long trunk and skeleton. Skulls are elastic, so they can unlock their jaws to swallow this huge prey. Oh, yes. I've... Uh... Yeah. Uh, I've enjoyed watching many snakes consume <laughs> whole prey. I know I'm a dork. I never, ever got old when I would um, yeah. feed a feed a snake. I think the most extreme one I've ever seen, and maybe we'll, we'll cover the snake at some point, is the egg eater snake. You know, when they eat an egg and you just look at how much they can stretch oh, yeah. to, to engorge that egg and then they crush it inside. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're really, they're, their biology is really amazing. They just, they have a lot of cool, cool stuff. Uh, going on with them. Now, one of the questions I had about snakes was the forked tongue. Mm-hmm. You know, snake biology, okay, why? I mean, I always knew they used that to touch and stuff, but really how this works. One well, is a sense of smell. Right, it is. That's where it's really yeah. important for them is their forked tongue is for smell. Mm-hmm. Chemoreception. And I know in a previous pod, we talked a little bit how this works. So what they're using is that tongue is they're shooting it out, touching the ground, and also the air that's the molecules, the, the chemical molecules are attached to that tongue. The tongue itself actually can't taste. It's they bring it into their mouth, and then there's this Jacobson's organ that interprets everything in the mm-hmm. mouth. So it happens, you know, really, really quick, but they're tasting or smelling what's in front of them. Now, the fork, which is really cool, is that they can tell which direction. So that's why they have the fork. If, if when they shoot it out, they'll able to tell if it's chemicals signals like either stronger or weaker and whatnot. And that gives them direction direction on where so to go. Cool. Yeah. yeah. They've, there was a study is where they, they actually cut that off, you know, cut the, t- the split tongue off. I don't know how ethical that one is, but it was kind of cool. And the snakes were kind of lost. They couldn't yeah. track. They could still smell, but they couldn't track where it went. Mm-hmm. So that fork is really, really important to determine direction on that, on where to go. So that, that was kind of some cool biology. And then everybody knows, or should know snakes are cold blooded, so their blood temp- temperature is lower yes. than ours. It's and 80. it gets and it gets higher. Too. Yeah, yeah. But typically they want to maintain about eighty five mm-hmm. uh, Fahrenheit or twenty nine Celsius. You know, and we're near you know ninety eight point six, and then some animals are hundred degrees Fahrenheit or thirty eight C. So, but they actually lay they they can't thermoregulate. Right. Right. They depend on their environment mm-hmm. to warm them up or cool them down. So that's why you see a lot of snakes sunning themselves to warm up. And then if they're hot, they, you know, they'll get in some shade or they'll go into water to cool off, things like that. You know, snakes, when they're cold, don't move quite as fast. They're a little lethargic. Muscles aren't working as well. Yeah, they'll go under hibernation or bromination. Yeah, and and the ones in the, yeah, in the colder environments Mm -hmm. hibernate. Now, the other cool thing about physiology with them is these snakes, the Burmese pythons, don't slither. Like you think of a snake moving around, doing the S pattern. Yeah, the S pattern. Yeah, they don't do that. They do retic... So it's called rectinal... <laughs> Wait, hold on, I'm just you. So Angie, you know how these move, right? Yeah, they move in like a rectilinear pat- yes. pattern. <laughs> oh, my God. oh my God. 
rectilinear Thank progression. You. Thank you. Yeah, because I can't speak. So how that works is their ribs stiffen, and then they they lift the scales. Scales lift forward, and then they come back. So they, that's how a little bit they, more of a straighter movement than yeah, what we typically watch, think. And I never, you know, I never paid attention really until I started really researching this. And then you watch the videos of them. And you're like, yeah, they, they're just moving straight. They're mm-hmm. just going right along, you know, like a millipede or something. Yeah, so cool. Yeah, and but they're slow. They One mile slow. per hour. So mm-hmm. you can't outrun these guys. Mm-hmm. No problem. But, you know, or 1.6 kilometers per hour. So easily, you know, get away from them if you have right. to. Right. If you're not in their ambush strike zone, you're you're yeah. totally fine. Yeah. yeah. And that, that actually is kind of good in their behavior because that's how they find food. And now, speaking of their behavior as far as uh, flicking their tongues mm-hmm. to smell... They actually have different types of flicking. Uh, there can be, oh, I didn't s- know that, yeah. yeah, it's pretty cool. It's if you've watched snakes like I have, yeah. just because you're so fascinated, <laughs> so dorky, so dorky. Thank you. Have too much time in your hands yeah. or whatever. You but have too much time in your hands? <laughs> Am I not doing something right? Are you no. not writing that dissertation? No, I don't have any snakes yeah, at home. No, this was, no, at the, like, no, at the zoo, I, I, I didn't have a lot of time long as a time keeper. Ago, you don't, yeah. yeah, you don't, you don't have t- extra time as a zookeeper. But I guess I would make time to. Yeah. Uh, I learn a lot from observation. But so they did. Uh, people, a lot of people that aren't fans of snakes think they're boring mm-hmm. or whatnot. But I was fascinated. Um, and so a slow flick is they're going to be, you know, they're going to be smelling the area right. and taking it in and then a, a fast flick of course they are also smelling but it's it's more it's gonna signal perhaps like a strike now you said is that how fast the tongue comes out of the mouth or how often they're flicking how often like how often and fast they're flicking okay so mm-hmm. if they just kind of do one it's kind of like yeah, teasing it, out but if it's like da, 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 sure mm-hmm. then get the heck it's, out of the way <laughs> potentially yes. potentially yes, okay. yes, yes. that's and then, cool yeah. and then another thing too is sometimes you see head wiggling and mm-hmm. that's kind of a whenever I put what we call in the zoo world enrichment right so something to help enrich the animal's environment to make them do more naturalistic right, behaviors right. so and stimulate them yeah maybe it's new bedding maybe mm-hmm. it's um, new type of food new type of soil or toy perhaps yeah. but anyways so sometimes you would see them moving their head yeah. back and forth and usually that's once again still smelling um but it's kind of exciting when you you know when you see it a little bit now if you see a lot of head head wiggling it could be a neurological issue so call your vet right but yeah um you definitely they definitely will do that when they're interested and then they are often found in their S shape, coiled or mm-hmm. resting, and that's fine. But if your snake is moving along, then deliberately goes into an S shape or defensive p- position. Mm-hmm. Once again, that's where you might want to watch out f- yeah. for the strike. Strike, yeah. Mm-hmm. And other things that they do that's kind of a little bit different than other species is they look like they're yawning, and people want to assume right. that they're yawning, but a lot of times they're just stretching their jaws, mm-hmm. and that can also be a sign that they might be ready to. Strike at something. Mm -hmm. But in general, that's just snake behavior in general. But for Burmese pythons, moving back to those guys, they are nocturnal. Uh, When they're young, they're typically found on the ground and in trees. Mm -hmm. However, once they get humongous, they're mostly on the ground. Right. They're great swimmers. They can stay underwater for up to 30 minutes. Oh, wow. Yeah, right? So so able to adapt to their environment. And, of course, they're even though they're giant, they're more scared of you than you are of them. And they, they typically spend most of their time hiding in the underbrush. Mm-hmm. And in the northern parts, like you said, when they're in the time of Nepal and whatnot, they are going to um, do what's called brumination, which is similar to hibernation. Mm-hmm. 
A recent study out of Florida for the Burmese pythons, as we're trying to learn more about mm. how these guys are moving and what they're doing in Florida, they've been shown to have a homing ability. Hmm. And we, when you think of that, you think of a homing pigeon. Right, yeah. Right, like we're always, you always know pigeon racers, they always right. know where their home is. Right, right. Uh, but it's been shown with Burmese pythons that they, they have that ability too, hmm. even up to like 50 miles. Wow. So relocation potentially Doesn't is not work. yeah it's not necessarily an option and what for if these they guys. like have ranges and stuff like they're you know that well and you like bring, their own territories and, things. and chris you know you bring up a really awesome part yeah. i love my behavior and yeah. i found other behavior about other snakes but truth be not told there's guys. not a lot yeah. about yeah. um a lot of the behavior we know is actually coming out of research from florida yeah, as as yeah. mm-hmm, researchers are trying to and federal agencies are trying to stay on top of this invasion and so one of the best ways to do that is to learn what they do what they do but i did find a really cool study out of um, i believe it was out of arizona researchers there have been studying studying rattlesnakes Mm -hmm. and are really breaking boundaries about socialization of rattlesnakes now snakes in general are typically loners they come together to breed and i'll talk more about that and then they go their own ways But um, they're, they're finding the communities of rattlesnakes and showing kind of like babysitters. <laughs> Seriously. Like, and so it's it's basic, so, it's breaking barriers and then making other people think. So we, you know these kids shows with snakes and stuff have it right. You know, yeah. Like they're all out together. Yeah. And then, uh, maybe some Oh, here comes a do. human scatter. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so anyways, I think once again, a lot, uh, with a lot of these species, we're just at the very beginning right. of learning about them and their intelligence and 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 all the cool things that they can right. do right. and so it would be a shame to not learn more about them right. in my opinion right and some of the cool stuff about them too like we can roll into nutrition is like we said but they're they're ambush predators because mm-hmm. they don't move very fast so they can't chase anything down they're and carnivores they, right carnivores and they have really poor eyesight so that tongue mm-hmm. is really important and basically they just grab their prey mm-hmm. grip it with their teeth they don't have Burmese pythons do not have fangs. You no. know, they have lots of small teeth. And then they coil around it. They constrict. They're constrictors. And basically how that works is every time the animal exhales, mm-hmm. they squeeze tighter. Mm-hmm. And they can feel that. And then exhale, boom, tighter, tighter, till there's no more air. And then the animal just suffocates. Is it cardiac arrest? Right, yeah. Because mm-hmm. there's no oxygen mm-hmm. traveling in the blood. And they don't necessarily crush bone. No. That's not how they kill them. Mm-hmm. It's, it's they suffocate them. Now... Again, why snakes are cool. Some of the biology behind it. They eat these huge meals relative to body size. and I can't wait to show, talk to my nutrition equine friends about yeah, this. Yeah, like, like, well, we can dork out about nutrition. And like I can it's ma- just maybe, insane. They always teach me about equine nutrition. Maybe yeah. I can teach them a little something about... That's snake nutrition. Yeah, it's so cool. So they have these extreme fluctuations in their metabol- or metabolism. Of course. And there's a study out that the Burmese python genome reveals the molecular basis for extreme adaptation in snakes. These animals go through physiological remodeling mm-hmm. after they eat. They Their organs grow about 35%. So their intestines, their stomach, their heart, their kidneys, their liver all get bigger in just 48, within 48 hours. Mm-hmm. And they use that in their metabolism Jumps about 40, 45 times normal to digest these large meals. This and is what I needed over Thanksgiving. Yeah, exactly. Like they just, their whole body changes after they eat mm-hmm. and then it goes back down. It goes yeah. back to normal. Yeah, and, some research yeah. showed that within two days of feeding, 
the size of the small intestine increased up to three times the fasting. Yeah. Rate. Three times. Yeah. It's yeah. huge. So they could digest these meals. Yeah, and they think that it's uh, a research study I was looking at said that they have a special kind of cells. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're calling it uh, transitional epithelium cells mm-hmm. that allow for the size change without growing cells. Right. So they're not growing more cells. The cells are just expanding. Yeah. And they think that there's um, a fluid-filled pressure pump through the lymphatic and or blood system that basically like i I just have this like huge inflation kind of cartoon (laughs) picture in my head of course it doesn't quite look like that but yeah i mean just said even like uh, blood flow increases like 50 percent. incredible yeah incredible eating they yeah insane adaptation in in these animals and again genetics drives that that's what that paper was kind of talking about but and talking about how successful a lot of these snakes are, they can even do this when they're energetically exhausted. Right. So when they haven't eaten for a long time and they really need to, they're basically starving, yeah. and their bodies, if they are able to get a hold of the prey, their body can still do this super remodeling. gnarly remodeling yeah. that takes a lot of energy. Yeah, so. and it goes back to normal. Yeah, we can learn a lot. Right? I mean, and I think we're getting there. Uh, basically, these the Brumese python, small, medium mammals, birds... In Florida, you know, really eating alligators and deer. And like we said, uh, bobcats, rabbits, possums, raccoons. They just can't find them anymore Mm -hmm. in the Everglades because they think because of these uh, snakes. Now, I know kind of one of the reasons we're having a big problem with them is, is they breed pretty quickly, right? So, yeah, they when they are reproductively successful, a female Burmese python can lay up to 100 eggs in one clutch. Wow. Now, in Florida, where we've studied them a mm-hmm. lot, usually it's in the 30s to 40s, right. but I think we've, we have seen up to 85 um, eggs per clutch. And so, yes, they, are, they can reproduce pretty quickly. Now, uh, the flip side of that is it does take them a while to mature sexually. Right. So they don't usually, for pythons of both sexes, males usually, there's going to be some sexual dimorphic things going on here where the females are actually longer, mm-hmm. um, but are a lot heavier and bulkier, bulkier than males. So the, so the girls are bigger. Girls are bigger. Yeah, mm-hmm. girls are bigger. And maybe that has something to do with the eggs they mm-hmm. have to carry mm-hmm. and whatnot. But and they think that males typically move more for breeding right. than females. And both sexes reach sexual maturity at about nine feet. So it might be around four to five yeah. years of age. Yeah, okay. But males aren't going to breed until about they're about eight years old. Okay. So that's it's some of the way. Yeah. yeah, that's some of the ways that we could you know help stop the invasion is they take a while to sexually mature. Right. Once they're sexually mature, forget about yeah, it. Like they lay pretty, a lot of eggs. Yeah. And so males are going to locate females uh, through using pheromones, mm-hmm. which are those chemicals secreted by one animal to send a message to the other. And then they are found in breeding aggregations of one female. And several males. Mm-hmm. So if you see, you might see a group of them then. Not that you'd want to bump into that, but right, right. that's sometimes when they do group together. And then, of course, females, they have a breeding season here. And this is, once again, mm-hmm. in Florida where we have the research. So males and females are going to breed in the spring here in Florida. And then three months later, the female is going to lay her eggs. Mm-hmm. 36 on average, but up to 100. And they are oviparous animals. So they lay their eggs in the typical way externally. Right, right. Okay. And unlike the boa constrictor, or several species of boa constrictors, they have um, live birth. Yeah, I mm-hmm. read that. Yeah, and that so, crazy, yeah. just to dork out a little yeah. bit, if we think back to the Indiana Jones uh, 
Temple of Doom, right. Dinner of Doom. Right, right. Do you remember that scene where they're 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 feeding Python or right. boa constrictor, and then they cut it open and all these live babies pop out, okay. which is so ridiculous. Yeah. You got to watch that clip if you haven't seen yeah. it. Just such bad. That bad. was a, that was the worst of the whole series. Yeah, just yeah. so ridiculous. And oh, you're talking from a movie point of view. Yeah, from a movie point of view. <laughs> I'm talking from a biology point. point I'm like, of view. first of all, there aren't boas in <laughs> India. I know. And second of all, you know, so they had some biology right, but yeah. yes, that doesn't happen. Um, that does happen in some species of boas, mm -hmm. but the pythons lay their eggs. Lay eggs okay, right. but really interesting behavior they do know about Burmese pythons is they're good moms. Mm -hmm. They will actually stay with their eggs until the eggs are hatched, and they wrap around them and they use their twitching muscles to keep uh, the eggs at a certain temperature. Um, temperature. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is um, they can increase their body temperature as much as seven degrees by doing this. And then um, six to eight weeks after the Mom laid the eggs and she's coiled around mm -hmm. them. She 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 doesn't move. Right. Not for food. Not for anything. She stays there. around. Yeah. This. So that's that's a lot yeah, of investment, yeah, de right? Yeah, um, and then once they're hatched, she does leave them. Right. Um, and then the hatch the hatchlings are going to use their egg tooth. It's just this little appendage mm -hmm. on the end of their nose to basically help peck. Isn't the right word? Right. That makes me think of a, a chicken. Chicken. But, right. But peck their way through the um, through the egg. And like you said, they're about two around two feet long yeah. when they're born. And then they right away start hunting and, yeah. like you said, just growing. Yeah, I mean, there's so, lots of frogs, lots of lots of stuff in the Everglades. Yeah. Now, in conservation, we you're kind of touching upon that. In Asia, the population's in decline. Right. So, Chris, this is where it's like this dichotomy is here in Florida, they're growing and growing yeah. the population, and but in their wild natural area of Southeast Asia, they're threatened. So, right. the the IUCN, the International Union of Conservation of Nature, uh, records them as threatened. Right. And their population is declining. Right. Mm -hmm. And their appendix two of the CITES. Which means that they're really, you know, they're protected, protected. in certain mm -hmm. in certain countries, not right. in all countries. Right. And then in certain sub subpopulations or special areas, like um, in Vietnam, they're critically endangered. Right. So yeah, eighty percent decline is what I read. Mm -hmm. yeah. And in Hong Kong, it's um, the Burmese python is a protected species right. under wild animals protection. So you know, it's they're in trouble over there due to habitat fragmentation due to poaching, illegal trade, pet trade, and whatnot. So they're not doing well. Yeah, in their native habitat. In their but, native habitat. Mm -hmm. But here they're exploding, right? Right. So on the other side of it yeah. is your instinct is here in Florida is to think that they're bad guys and they're doing all these bad things, which they are, right. but they can't help it. They're right. actually super successful yeah. because... Most likely because we have a little bit more laws right. in place as far as some, protecting some of our, our natural places and whatnot. And we have a lot of yummy critters and yeah. very good weather for yeah, them. For them to survive. Yeah, I mean, we did a, a hunt last year in Florida, a legal hunt, mm -hmm. and they only got 100 of them. Right. And this is, and yeah. Chris, is the, I mean, the invasive species is a, is a serious issue, and right. our, our federal government has taken notice and... It is currently, you know, illegal, at least in Florida. I'm not sure. I think it's a jurisdiction by right. jurisdiction to own these. And if you are busted with one of these guys, it can be up to seven years in prison right. and $500,000 wow, in fine. fines. Yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah, so, I mean, I you won't want one of these snakes as a right. pet. Even my snake friend, hobbyists out there, love you guys. But I think they would even vouch for this. This is not a hobbyist. Yeah, it's not a snake that you no, want. To no, own. no, no. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then talking about their effects on, 
you know, the ecosystem in Florida. So getting to where we promised at the beginning, the population, I about fell out of my chair. And I know I texted you last night with this. You did. Yeah, it was pretty funny. I have seen estimates. I texted you like 100,000. I even saw updated estimates of the 150,000 Burmese pythons in Florida. And this is just since 2007. Yeah, 10 years. And this is with federal regulation being put into place, I think, in 2012. Right. To not bring any more right. of these guys no, into Florida. They are proliferating like crazy. Yeah, they're doing great here. And it is a big problem to the ecosystem. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to many to many of our endangered little guys, uh, key deer, wood stork, uh, wood rat. Possums, raccoons, um, bobcats, Florida panther. Florida like, panther, yes. Yeah, there's only 100 and something of them left. So, yeah, 150,000 Burmese pythons in the state of Florida. So not only can you come visit is Disney that, World. I was going to say, does that our population in Gainesville is like, what, 200,000? No, I... Student population is like 50, 60. So, yeah, you throw in. Yeah, it's about the population of here. Yeah. Yeah, like that is a lot of snakes that Too don't belong. Too much snake. That don't belong. And they're just breeding, you know, 80-something eggs or 30 to 40, what you said, per year times 100, you know, 50, 60,000 breeding females. Yeah, they're they're like proliferating quickly. So they are a big, big problem. And then when you have a hunt... You know, that only gets a hundred. That's nothing. That's not, that does, that is not doing anything. Well, and researchers, exactly. Researchers really are trying to be more crafty about it and going after eggs. And in fact, uh, researchers out of Florida have done what they used, what they call a a Judas snake. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. They trap a snake and then they uh, put a transmitter in it and they actually re release it to help it. Find it. Find other snakes. I've heard, and they've been pretty successful with that. And then calling eggs, and and which you know, obviously, if yeah, if you can get them, you know, get the eggs gone, that's a that's a great way to help control. This, like you talk population. about this, and I don't know why. There's a uh, you know another Radio Labs, like one of the biggest podcasts out there, but there is a great episode on the, um, the Galapagos mm-hmm. Islands, mm-hmm. and they actually used a Judas goat because ah, old sailors yes. would come in and drop goats off and the goats were destroying the environment. So they made a Judas goat that would go and go find buddies mm-hmm. and they would come in and kill all the buddies and bring in Judas goat and give them some treats yeah. and say, go do it again. And it's, and, and with it works. That, yeah. Right. And well, with that, they're also doing, a, that's where we're learning a lot about their um, life cycle right. reproduction, yeah, stuff that wasn't really, homing, yeah. yeah, stuff that stuff that we didn't really know too much, yeah. maybe from their native habitat. And so, I mean, in that part, I obviously love behavior and repro is pretty cool, but we're here in Florida, we're using it as a tool to try to, how do we eradicate these guys? Right, right. Uh, right yeah. Because they, they, they shouldn't, they shouldn't be here and they're, it's unfortunate they are because they're destroying. They're great animals, but they're, they're, they don't belong here in Florida. Right. Yeah. They're, they weren't part of our food web. Yeah. And they're, they, they're they, disrupting They're disrupting food web and they're going to do, and they already have done a lot of damage and they're going to. Continue to do more harm to now, endangered species. Now, okay, so let's put that aside, mm-hmm. you know, and if you, you know, the invasive part. We do know snakes are in trouble. You know, there Correct. are a lot of snakes in trouble, and they are very critical to their natural biomes. Mm-hmm. So what are some things people could do to maybe support snakes or snake conservation? Well, I think the best thing you can do to probably support snake conservation is, A, don't support the illegal pet trade. Yeah. Sure. Okay, that's yeah. kind of a common a one. one yeah. So that's something you can not do. Not honey badgers? Right, probably not honey badgers. <laughs> Let's hope not. The other thing you can do, I think, is that if you do end up with an, an exotic pet, yeah. and probably any pet in general, yeah. and you can't take care of it anymore, 
Look for help. Don't release it into the wild. God, no. Oh, um, God, I mean, no. there's a whole well, a whole other podcast of yeah. iguanas and parrots and just animals that have been released because people didn't want them. And now they're, you know, invasive oh, and, yeah, and not living horrible. where they should. And, and it's just not fair to the animal. I mean, people released horses when they shouldn't yeah. back in yeah. 2007, 8, 9. And yeah. it's just, it's not a humane it's not way a humane it. humane way to deal with that. And so mm-hmm. the other thing too, learn locally learn to identify snakes in your area mm-hmm. to be able to tell them um, apart from exotics. Another resource out there is called Pet Amnesty Days. Mm-hmm. So if you have mm-hmm. a pet, an exotic pet, and you can't take care of it, some there's wonderful groups out there that will actually take them back because we don't want them to be released. Right. And there's, you know, I'm going to give a shout out to my, my good friend, Joe. He was a, an undergrad in one of my classes and, and got to know him really well. And now he's off in vet school, but he, you know, rescued a lot of reptiles and mm-hmm. he is well-trained and went to the, you know, the shows around town, you know, and educating people and stuff. And he's a fabulous artist, did some of the artwork that's coming out in my book next year. And he, yeah, he was overwhelmed with sure. the amount of reptiles oh, yeah. that people just couldn't take care of. No, yeah, do this. Uh, if you even consider it, breathe, think about it, and then do your research, ecohealthypets.com. Yeah. And and I obviously would opt not to do it. Um, but at any rate, the so other then, thing, with the invasive yeah. species, another thing if you, for us here, for local mm-hmm. Floridians mm-hmm. listening, or anybody that has an invasive species in their, their neighborhood, if you can learn to identify it from right. other ones, and then... Here in Florida, we have, there's like actually online training so you can be certified and learn to identify and then help getting rid of them. Right. So if you live down them. in South Florida. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then our federal government's involved. So we have apps. There's an I've Got One app for oh, iPhone. Wow. Yeah. Angie, let's talk about some organizations to support. And I will say, we'll put this in the show notes, which is again, found on our website. Thank you, Ashley, my wife. Yeah. Your wife, somebody's got to keep you in line, yeah, right? Sounds, like I said, we couldn't do a podcast together because she would drive me crazy. I love her. But uh, anyways, yeah. So she's like, make sure to tell the listeners the website, allcreaturespod.com has all of our stuff on it. But what are some good organizations that we should be looking to support? Well, Chris, I selected two this mm-hmm. week. Um, and one is going to be working with the Burmese python in its native range cool. and doing research there. And that's called the Orian Society. So I'm going to spell it for you. It's O-R-I-A-N-N-E Society. And they're okay. found on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, www.oriansociety.org. Right. And they, what they do is they support a lot of reptile research. Right. But cool. specifically, I chose this organization because they work with what's called the Bangladesh Python Project. Mm-hmm. And... It, this project is established with a mission to conduct research and promote conservation of reptiles in Bangladesh with an emph- emphasis on the Burmese python as their flagship species. Right. And so they help with conservation efforts uh, by collecting data on their native range, and they raise awareness about Burmese python and their population declines with the local people, and they provide training and conservation research techniques locally. And then they also work on formulating a sustainable model to mitigate python-human conflict. Right. And so it's crazy because we, you know, we're what, 11 pods in or 10 pods in with species. And, you know, all these organizations, there's so many people doing so many great things. Yeah. I mean, this um, Bangladesh Python Project, they have people on the ground that are radio tracking them in national parks. And it's the first radio telemetry study on these snakes in Bangladesh. So this is, I mean... And the Orient Society, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Sorry, guys, yeah. if I'm not. Uh, but they're 
really supportive of it. And so right. I want to give them a shout out for sure Great. and um, check them out. Donate to them if you are interested in helping save these Burmese python in mm-hmm. its natural habitat. Mm-hmm. And then my second organization is a little bit more local, near and dear to my heart um, as far as um, being my, – my mom lives in southwest Florida right. in Fort Myers. And right there in Naples, there's a really good organization called the Conservancy of Southwest Florida. Mm-hmm. And they can be found on all the social media sites mm-hmm. at, at – Conservancy SWF or www.conservancy.org. Right. What they specialize in is invasive species removal. Mm-hmm. And they play a key role in using interagency efforts, so the government and then other non NGOs, mm-hmm. to raise awareness and conduct surveys of um, lots of invasive species right. from plants. And they also focus here, of course, locally on the Burmese python mm-hmm. invasion. And not just hunt them to extinction or whatnot, right. but it can actually help stop stop the problem. The breeding, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Stop the breeding and whatnot. Right. And they use radio tag snakes. They are one of the groups that use the, um, the Judas snake, too, right. of course. And since 2013, so we're talking four years, yeah. they've captured about 250 snakes. and But even more impressively, 300,000 eggs. Oh wow! God, see, that's and this a is, lot of and snakes. And that's just in southwest southwest Florida. <laughs> Talk about snakes on a plane, <laughs> right? Put those on a plane and yeah. fly back. So yeah. yeah, the Conservancy of Southwest Florida is doing yeah. really good things locally in our area. And if you want to check them out, um, I give them a big right. um, boots great. on the ground. They're they're doing yeah. they're doing great and trying Here to locally. Use, yeah, yeah, they're using science and then also you know and then partnering with uh, federal agencies right. and whatnot to it's a joint effort. It's mm-hmm. not just one. Yeah, it's group, a compl- yeah. once again it's one of these yeah. complex problems. There's no right answer. No, no, no. It's not no. fair that they're here. They yeah. didn't, they didn't want to be here. But yeah, they but now they're loving it. Now they're here and, and doing well and it's just yeah, yeah, it's it's a tough it's a tough problem and that's where, you know, once again if they're, you know, if we could go back to, you know, keeping species where they're supposed to live to in the legal pet trade and, yeah. you know, um, breeding irresponsibly of some of these yeah. animals, um maybe you know, maybe we yeah. wouldn't be in this yeah. pickle. Yeah. Well, it's a similar thing that we'll be talking about, you know, with uh, different species, but you know, we um, thank you for listening. Just real quick for us, if you have not already, please subscribe to the podcast and then rate and review us. You know, if you can go into iTunes, great, or whatever podcast app you use. We're just trying to get noticed. We're just trying yeah, to build our, our feedback audience. on Facebook too. Yeah, please send us emails or, or feedback on the website, the Facebook. We have our Facebook page. All Creatures Facebook page. So just please, if you can, subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. That, that would help us out a lot as we get going. And you know, it's going to be crazy because we're at episode 11, and I can't wait to do like episode 50 and well, look back. Right, I know. Yeah. Well, we will get better. We won't be so goofy and whatnot. <laughs> no, that's the fun part. <laughs> but and honestly, too, if you're listening this long, you probably actually love snakes. You're yeah. probably one of the 1% like myself. Yeah. So my, I challenge you with, you know, share this with, a friend that doesn't like snakes, which, yeah, should, be, which should be pretty easy because yeah, a lot of people don't like snakes does. out there. Yeah. Um, or a young kid, yeah. too, that you know maybe we can um, get a more you know, snake-friendly side yeah. because snakes are super cool, they man. Are. They are. They are. And, um, and the Burmese python is a very big One example. of the, kings, yeah. of the uh, yeah, they're doing, you know, they, they, they when they're... When their habitat's protected and they're not overhunted and um, they're not diseased and whatnot, they can, you know, they can do great. And so they, you know, we needed them to be doing that and Right. They're Asia. natural. Yeah, in Asia, yeah. not here in Florida. Well, anyways, thank you and we'll uh, look forward to spreading more information uh, next pod. Thank you guys for listening. 
Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.